Hey, have you heard the Virginia Lottery has a new Willy Wonka Golden Ticket Scratcher that has a top prize of $100,000? Tell that to my automated Golden Ticket Scratcher apparatus. You simply put the ticket in here, and the machine scratches it for you. And while we wait, we can play the Willy Wonka Golden Ticket online game with a top prize of $1 million. Just visit VALottery.com or use the lottery app. That's one impressive scratcher apparatus. Use it whenever. What's mine is yours. But hands off the scratcher. That Willy Wonka Golden Ticket is all mine. Sofas, recliners, love seats, everything is better in leather. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley, where bold meets durable. And wait a minute, who's been finger painting on the couch again? That's okay, leather is easy to clean. The new leather collection at Ashley is built with the durability you need for the whole family. Yes, pets too. Luxury is meant to be livable. Shop chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Ben Kizzle with Marcus Parks. How you doing, Marcus? I'm doing good, Ben. How about you? I'm good. We got Molly Neffel with us today. Thanks so much for being here, Molly. Hi, Ben. Hi, Marcus. Of course, you can listen to Molly on page seven and uh, the great uh, radio show, Radio Dispatch, as well. It's true. Um, so, what a week. Uh, I have whiplash, <laughs> and I have not been in a car. I am. Uh, it, it's fascinating. We won't be talking about Gorsuch or Hardiman, the two Supreme Court uh, possible choices. The two, the two, one of them will be the, the uh, Supreme Court justice. Those are the two possible choices. Uh, currently, Donald Trump has flown them down to Washington, D.C., and at one point, at some point, he will give one a rose, <laughs> uh, which is so nice that he's treating it not, not like The Apprentice, more like The Bachelor, mm-hmm. um, but he, he loves all reality shows. <laughs> so uh, I believe it will be Gorsuch who has uh, modeled his entire career after Antonin Scalia, uh. and uh, this is one of those uh, Supreme Court justice uh, picks that, of course, it is important, but whoever it is, they will be replacing Scalia, and we really really have to pay attention, yes, to this one, but the next one, uh, which will shift the court mm-hmm. uh, one way or another. But I think we know which way <laughs> the court will be shifted. No, I, I let us uh, let it be known that I am going for Gorsuck. You're going to go, not Gorsuch? <laughs> you want to call him Gorsuck, huh? I'm going for Gorsuck. All right. I want to point out one positive thing that happened. Uh, the ACLU, because of Trump's Muslim ban, uh, of course, he banned uh, individuals from Iraq, Iran, Syria, Yemen, Sudan, Libya, and Somalia. The ACLU has raked in $20 million, and I think that is wonderful activism, and that is another good side effect of what happens when someone takes office that is horrifying with policies that are destructive and anti-American. These groups, uh, these private groups are going to start raking in a bunch of money. I think the ACLU ordinarily gets like four million a year in donations and now they got 20 in one weekend. So they're having a good, I mean, they're not having a good time. None of us are having a good time. No, they, but- they will have a lot of money to fund their bad time yeah, though. Yeah. And, uh, okay, so let's start off with the executive orders uh, that Donald Trump has been signing. He has uh, roughly seven executive orders and I believe it's 10 10 executive memos, Mm -hmm. um, which are strongly worded suggestions for all intents and purposes. And then he has an executive action as well. And just for the record, we're recording this on like day fucking 11 or something. Day 11. The fucking intensity of this last week and a damn half is like, it's, I mean, more stuff has happened in the last week and a half than 
in the first 30 years of my life. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and of course, you know, a lot of the conservatives uh, talking about Obra- uh, Obama being the imperial president, uh, they sure haven't said anything uh, about uh, Donald Trump making uh Barack Obama seem as if he was, um, uh, you know, one of the most uh, diplomatic presidents in the history of the country. The most that anyone has said is that Paul Ryan said that the entire process with the refugees was regrettably confusing. And indeed, uh-huh. he was correct about that, and then he went back to doing sit-ups. So the guy has great abs, <laughs> and, let, and let's give him credit where, where uh, his abs are due. Oh, he's got the most punchable face in Washington, which I think is saying something. God, you can't you, miss a schnoz like that. Just you know? want to you know, just poke his eyes like balloons. Yeah. You just want those well, eyes like, look like gigantic balloons. You just want to pop them <laughs> like zits. Paul Ryan, you know, I always have a soft spot. He is from Wisconsin, my home state, and he is in hell. Uh, There is no winning for him whatsoever, but granted, uh, he isn't taking nearly the bold positions he should be taking against what Donald Trump is currently enacting and putting into policy uh, against the American people. I don't know why Paul Ryan won't stand up to this guy. If Paul Ryan stood up to him right now, he would be an American hero. He would be hailed. People would love him. Yeah, it would be quite wise for him to separate the Republicans off who are horrified by Trump. And instead, yeah, I love Wisconsin as well, but... I want to believe that Paul Ryan has some sort of conscience, but he has this shit-eating grin on his face ever since Trump was elected. Like, yeah, we're doing it. You know, he's- No, I actually think that that's what Trump is feeding him. Um, (laughs) I think that's what all congressional and uh, all congressional Republicans are currently eating uh, that substance. Yeah, Paul Ryan's smile is definitely plastered on because he was the one that was pushing back against Trump for quite a while. Well, what happened now with John McCain and Lindsey Graham, uh, these two people who are quite defiant against Donald Trump, and of course, Donald Trump ran uh, during the primaries, he uh, gave out Lindsey Graham's phone number. Mm -hmm. Uh, He mocked uh, John McCain for uh, being a war hero and for being tortured by the Viet Cong, for being a loser. So these two individuals, the statesmen, (laughs) the elder statesmen of the Republican Party, certainly aren't thrilled with Donald Trump and never have been. But you get the feeling they're choosing and picking their battles wisely. Uh, Now what happened, and we want to go through some, let's, let's, let's start with Uh, The first executive order, and then we'll go through and discuss the Muslim ban, which, of course, was created by Stephen Miller, the top aide for Jeff Sessions, who will become our attorney general. Um, And this is insight into the mind of Sessions Mm -hmm. and horrifying, to say the least. Very isolated decision made in the in the executive branch, in the executive Oval Office, uh, with very little. Rex Tillerson wasn't aware of the Muslim ban from the seven nations. Uh, Mad Dog Mattis wasn't told about it. He didn't even tell Mad Dog. Yeah, even Mad Dog was out of loop. I think I think Mad Dog is like the sane one, has the reputation as the sane one. His They're nickname like, is Mad Dog. Don't tell Mad Dog. Yeah, I mean, that's how that's how far on the insane spectrum we are, that Mad Dog is like the dad who everyone's like, don't tell. All right, so starting off on January 20th, after Trump... Uh, I mean, he. this is January 20th. Mm-hmm. This is the first day he was just uh, outside in the cold getting sworn in. Uh, tens and tens of people watched him <laughs> get sworn in. You can just look at the pictures. Yeah. January 20th, Donald Trump instructs the federal agencies to minimize the burden of Obamacare. Uh, January, so we're right. He immediately went in, and this was a campaign promise. Um, obviously, Donald Trump and all the Republicans promised to replace Obamacare, but promised to repeal Obamacare. However, they have not come up with a replacement. Yet Rand Paul, the closest one to a rational plan. And they have absolutely nothing. I mean, there was that leaked uh, recording that came out just last week. I think maybe it was even just Friday. Uh, that was a closed door meeting of Republicans when they essentially they admitted they have no plan whatsoever. <laughs> and they 
said that whatever you put out there, it is going to be called Trump Care, and we will own it. I like Rand Paul's plan to some degree. He offers 5K for an HSA. He also has, a, a, if you are diagnosed with an illness, you have two years to seek um, uh, health care, and they cannot deny you for a pre-existing condition under those two years. And there's a few other tenants to his plan that I think are reasonable. Um, other than that, I haven't heard anything from the Republican Party, and Rand Paul certainly isn't the most respected voice in the Republican Party. As we're seeing, there's nothing libertarian about Donald Trump or his administration. And a health savings account is just a scam that they can then take away from people later. It's like a anytime you have a oh, voucher. Oh, it's like DACA. <laughs> yeah, it's every anytime you have a voucher program, especially one that's supposed to be for low-income people, they give it to you and then they just try to spend the, the whole rest of the time trying to take it away. Like, okay, we'll give you a voucher for health care. And then, like, food stamps is a voucher program and they've been trying to cut food stamps for decades. So they're going to give out health savings accounts, which is just $5,000 health sa- savings account means... Uh, up to $5,000, you might not go broke, and then after that, you're broke, and then we're going to try to take it away because we're going to say it's an entitlement and you don't need it. And I would assume they'd also push for something very similar to what W pushed for, which was a privatization uh, situation, uh, which relies basically on gambling uh, and playing the stock market and things like that. And obviously, my parents, for example, they were able, my father was able to retire six months before the housing market completely collapsed. And had he waited six months, had his arthritis been slightly weaker than it was and didn't put him out of commission until it did, he would have been completely screwed. They would have been forced to stay in Wisconsin as opposed to uh, afford a uh, small place in Florida. Now, there was another proclamation or there was another action that he did on January 20th. The National Day of Patriotic Devotion. Oh, yeah. Now, this really shows you something. This really shows you Trump's mind because it's not uncommon for a president to make his inauguration day a special day for himself. It was something that George H.W. Bush started back in the day. Let's go through the name. And they all have fun little names for all of them. They're all fun little names. Uh, Bush, his was the National Day of Prayer and Thanksgiving. Oh, that's kind uh, of fun. Yeah, that's fun. Thanksgiving's yeah. taken, Bush. <laughs> no. Uh, Clinton's was the National Day of Fellowship and Hope, uh, and then it was the National Day of Hope and Renewal. He switched it around a little bit. <laughs> okay. uh, George W. Bush came back with National Day of Prayer and Thanksgiving. He uh, double-shotted that one. Uh, and Obama, it was National Day of Reconciliation and Renewal and National Day of Hope and Resolve, which all well, of those, I mean, they're very um, humble. You know, they, they all have a bit more of a hopeful air to them. Uh, Trump's, listen to this. National Day of Patriotic Devotion. Yeah, it's not a it's not an yeah. idea, it's a command. Yeah, you know, it is. all the other ones are like, oh, hope, reconciliation, and Trump is like, you will worship me. Well, this is what <laughs> happens when you give an egomaniac with no political experience whatsoever the White House. This is, you know, to defend him to some degree, this is his attempt at extending the olive branch and trying to unite the country after one of the most polarizing elections of all time, or certainly in, in modern history. So that is all that was, but I agree, of course. I'm it was that is Trumpian to say the least. Okay, January Worship twenty, me. January twenty fourth. We can assume he got no sleep from the twentieth to the twenty fourth. Of course, uh, the twenty first. I believe Sean Spicer was out there uh, talking about how the crowd sizes were larger than they were. Let's not forget that three days of ridiculous, um, uh, ridiculous headlines, ridiculous stories that are totally meaningless. And you're right, and he didn't sleep. There was a story, a story in the New York Times about how he gets really bad when he's tired, as all of us ugh. do. But he gets really like. 
like Wait, angry. Are you telling me we are living with a president that is like a Snickers commercial? <laughs> <laughs> you're not yourself when you're hungry or tired, yeah. and then it's William Defoe before he turns into uh, uh, Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, we got President Grumpy Gus. Yeah, oh, that's like perfect. Five year old, so he was real cranky on Saturday. Well, now from the 20th to the 24th, uh, Molly. Obviously, this was the time of the big women's march. 3.3 million people took to the streets nationally. 500 cities uh, participated. We were in uh, Philadelphia and we got to participate a little bit there and and see what happened. Uh, What was your experience with the Women's March? And uh, just tell us about, yeah, just tell us about that. I was in D.C. and, um, you know, it was really, really heartening. It was, um, I actually, I was in D.C. on Friday and Saturday and I was expecting it to be the most miserable time on earth. And, of course, it was terrible, but there was people out protesting on Friday. There was, um, I mean, as far as you could see in D.C., people out there on Saturday. And, you know, I think that I think that it's I I think a couple of things. One, um, I think that marches that happen around the country are extra meaningful. So Mm -hmm. it is not like a march on Washington historically. Yes. Right. But like the fact that they happened everywhere, I think, makes it. you know, historic. Made it, yeah, made it yeah. historic and made it so that it wasn't just one thing. And um, like when I think about effective protest movements of recent memory, things that happen around the country and also things that aren't just one day actions. Right. So mm-hmm. the, the the Women's March was it was the beginning of something. And then they immediately rolled out a plan of 100 days, 10 actions. And so the idea was not just people in the streets. And I think people in the streets is wonderful. And I think that that's I mean, there's it's. It's an extremely beautiful sight, but it's, it's not completely just- American, and uh, it, it is the wonderful thing about this nation. I thought that was what I got out of it. it was just beautiful to see the sea of people demanding uh, to be heard. Yeah, and you know, and all of those people are gonna. It's it's really like um, mobilizing and moving to be in the streets with a lot of people. It's energizing. Those people are gonna keep stuff up. It's not. I feel like naysayers are always like, "Ooh, what are you gonna get done in the streets?" But people are are you know, once you have an, a a powerful experience and a protest, mm-hmm. you take that with you all. All of those people are calling their Congress people. Mm-hmm. They're going to continue to be engaged. And one last thought about the Women's March: it was a very, very broad tent, which means that there was politics, like inter intra politics within it. Which, like, of course, there's going to be when you have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, but or millions of people. But it was a huge, broad tent, and that's important because. Uh, as much as people are in their sects and there's leftists and there's liberals and there's right. everything in between, uh, people need to come into coalition together, including coalition with conservatives, in order to stop fascism. Well, and that was sort of one of the great divides between pro-life women and pro-choice women. The majority of pro, uh, the majority of people at the Women's March were obviously pro-choice, and the pro-lifers had their march, the March for Life, which of course Vice President Mike Pence spoke at the first time a vice president has ever spoken at a pro-life event. And I have no problem again with them marching and expressing their political viewpoints either. Mm-hmm. And speaking of the broad tent, I mean that's been one of the criticisms of the left for many years that it's so ridiculously fragmented where he's right. the right is the only right. fragmentation they've had over the years or over recent years is you know Tea Party uh, and you well, know, now the alt- Republicans and, and now the alt right and now I guess the alt right as well yeah. but you know the left has hundreds of pet um issues and everybody thinks that theirs is the most important and the only one that matters so now I think right. we're really starting to see people 
realizing that they have to come together. They have no choice but to come together. Nothing unites like a common enemy. Uh, And Donald Trump is certainly a common enemy of the left and many people on the right. Mm -hmm. So January 24th, after the women's protest, after uh, vocal opposition, Trump calls for the executive branch to streamline streamline and expedite environmental reviews and approvals for all infrastructure projects. January 25th, he moves to suspend federal dollars for sanctuary cities. Uh, This is an interesting one for us living in New York City, uh, having an understanding. I worked in the bar business for many years. Uh, If you just look at the people who work in New York City without immigrants, many of them illegal, this city would collapse. And Donald Trump knows that. He built his hotels on the backs of illegal immigrants. And I think it takes a certain amount of audacity for him to pretend as if sanctuary cities are the number one problem facing our country. There's 500,000 undocumented people in New York City. They go to school. They yeah, they work. They Even if they don't, they are human beings. Right. They deserve uh, to... I mean, the amount of terror that this is an anguish, that this is already striking in families. And um, and New York City, to its credit, to the, to the credit of de Blasio and even Andrew Cuomo, and I'm not one to enthusiastically <laughs> praise Andrew I don't Cuomo. love either of them, but yeah. And I'm not even one to, I mean, I'm certainly not one to like enthusiastically praise the NYPD, but all three of those um, <laughs> institutions have been like, you know, hey, you're not going to, you're not going to take this away from us. And, mm-hmm. and um, that also talking about, you know, coalition building, like. You know, if I got to tell Andrew Cuomo that he did a good job, I will. Yep. And it's a good job, Andrew Cuomo. So he's Absolutely. saying that if you are a sanctuary city, that you're going to lose all of your federal funding. Yes. All of your federal funding. Let yes. me ask you that. Does that include the million dollars a day we pay to uh, protect uh, to protect Trump's wife? I know this one. Um, so <laughs> You don't have to raise your hand. You're not in the classroom right now. Oh, me. Me, Marcus. Um, so... Ordinarily, yes. What de Blasio said, so it's about 10% of New York City's budget that we would lose if we don't get federal dollars. And what de Blasio said was, yo, that money is going to go straight out of the NYPD and specifically the money we're spending on guarding Trump Tower. But there is a clause in the executive order saying we'll cut your federal dollars except for those spent on police and anti-terrorism shit, which means that it will instead be cut from, you know, anti-poverty programs like feeding children, um keeping schools doors open and mm-hmm. ACS which is like where you call if a child is being abused these are the places that are going to get cut but sure. um if the executive order didn't specifically name law enforcement it would have immediately mm. gone to cut the guards at Trump Tower yeah yes of course you're never going to bite the hand that feeds you or in this case protects uh Melania and Barron uh unbelievable his stance on the sanctuary cities uh this is affecting San Francisco many uh, Los Angeles Seattle uh, Seattle Philly and all of those mayors to their great credit are saying well all right cut the money we'll figure out another way which which makes me incredibly impressed with them well as a person who wants to take the money uh give money back or give uh, the rights back to the states. You know what? Take your federal funds and get the hell out of here. And as a leftist we'll be fine. on the socialist spectrum, uh, as somebody who who hates states' rights, now I'm like, give it to the states. Give it to the states. <laughs> I think there should be federal. I don't hate states' rights, but I think that there should be federal protections for human rights. But now I'm in this weird position of wanting all of the power to go to the cities more, and then also the states with a federal government like this. Absolutely, that's the whole point of uh, you know of states' rights is to stop 
terrible regimes like the one that we're currently living under right now. And it's really weird. I, I think you're going to see with Trump, that's the funny thing about him is that, you know, he is definitely Republican, but a lot of his policies are going to go wildly against states' rights. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Of yeah. course. The Republican Party has been touting states' rights for a very long time, and at no point have they ever lived up to that ideal. It's a farce. It's a lie. And uh, it's something that they've been running on, and it's been something that people love in theory and we don't get from either party. Yeah. I mean, not to mention how much money they spend. Absolutely. Oh, my God. I mean, again, yeah. they're going to add $9.7 trillion to the budget uh, under under President Trump. There is no fiscal conservatism whatsoever no. uh, happening in this uh, in this administration. Yeah, it's about starving people. It's not about saving money. They want to they want to starve people, kill them, close their schools and, and deport them. So January 25th, it was a busy day when it came to Donald Trump's bigotry uh, towards Hispanics and Mexicans in particular. It, also on January 25th, he directs the government to build a wall on the Mexican border and to begin deporting illegal immigrants. Now, of course, this wall will... Now, Marcus, you said, what was it? Roughly $15 billion I mean, uh, yeah. this wall will this wall will cost. Uh, it would cost $54 million to fix the damn pipes in Flint to give them clean water. How can't we siphon off any money from these ridiculous programs to go give people who are American citizens water that should be fresh? Also, just for the record, in case people aren't familiar with how militarized the U.S. border is, there's already a damn wall. The entire border is militarized. There is so much money pumped into securing the border. If the you know There have been entire books written about, uh, there's one called Border Patrol Nation, which I highly recommend, about the massive military infrastructure that goes to maintain the U.S. border. It is a militarized, weaponized border where people are killed regularly. And, right. not, and not only that, but, I mean, think about this, that it is 2,000 miles. 2,000 miles. Right now, there's already a smaller wall that I believe came about in 2006, somewhere around there. Uh, and you know how long it took to... Be, I think it's about 700 miles, if anything like that. You know how long it took to build that fucking wall? Six years. Well, I think it took six years to build that. And not only well. that, but most of the illegal immigrants in this country, they don't come over with coyotes. They come over on visas and then overstay their visa. And not only that, but most of the drugs that come over from the border don't come over the uh, Rio Grande. They come in smuggled through border checkpoints. This does nothing. It does it is a campaign. Absolutely nothing. It is another symbolic uh, campaign uh, gesture uh, proposal, and now he's following th following through with it. And uh, that is why some of the people who supported Donald Trump are happy to hear this news. But I totally agree with both of you. There's also a massive mountain yeah, and uh, that tends to stop people <laughs> from coming over. Look at a desert. Yes. And not only like what it does do, Marcus. You're right. It does it does nothing in terms of the the issues of safety or whatever that Trump is pretending to care about. But what it does do is it provides bigots in the United States with a phrase and a word, a weaponized word to use to humiliate people and denigrate them. And it has kids saying to each other, you know, build a wall. And and uh, all these stories during the campaign of, of um, high school basketball games where the teams are chanting to an, to an all-black team, build a wall, even though the wall is about black people. It's oh, just my God. A, and they could just jump over it. Okay, I'll get away with that. I get that one. It's just a, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a way, it's, it, it's something that they're actually going to build, but more than anything, it's like language to dehumanize people. Can you imagine if it was the Polish over there on the, on the southern border? They would burrow. They would just burrow. 
burrow right under it. Well, that's what uh, the big thing in England is. I mean, uh, that's what Brexit is <laughs> I don't know why I about. decided to go on a racial tear. I have, I have no but, I mean, no, I mean, but really, you bring up Polish, you know, that's a big part of Brexit yeah. is Polish immigrants. Yeah, weird, weird anti-Polish racism, which I thought that was not around anymore, but still is. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, of course. So let's go, before we get to some of the big ones here, I want to go to the executive memos as well. Starting January 20th, Trump officially withdraws the U.S. from the Trans-Pacific Partnership trade deal. January 23rd, he implements a freeze on hiring of federal civilian employees across the board uh, in the executive branch, with the exception of military, of course, and in other limited circumstances. Uh, January 23rd, again, reinstates the Mexico City policy, preventing U.S. taxpayers from going to the NGOs that perform abortions. This was sort of the precursor to what will be happening here regarding defunding Planned Parenthood. Uh, they did it abroad first, and, uh, and there is no doubt that that sound, uh, sent a, uh, it had a chilling effect to many people who are uh, part of the uh, women's movement and in uh, individuals who are pro-choice in this country. And to talk about that, um, the, the global gag rule, what it does, right, it, it prevents... Um, like you said, it prevents any um, uh, NGOs like overseas from getting any fund, any federal, any taxpayer funding, federal funding, if they are providing abortions or if they even mention abortions. So they can't even do family planning, education stuff. If they mention abortions, they're going to lose their funding. And of course, just like Planned Parenthood, this isn't just going to affect it. Just isn't it just going to affect people who need abortions? But a lot of times, those providers are providing cancer screenings, right? A- annual exams, um, basic health health care. So this is going to leave up to 2 million women hmm. um, who need abortions unable to get them. And it's going to leave, I think, around 5 or 6 million women at risk of losing general women's health care entirely. All right. Now, do you think that this was a pot? Do you think he had this planned or do you think he pulled this out of his hat as a response to Saturday? I think that he had this planned. I think this is something that evangelical Christians are very aware of. The pro-life movement is exceptionally aware of the abortion laws across the world, specifically uh, here nationally, just as aware as the pro-choice movement is or the uh, the women's rights movement. These people are on the ball. And that's why we see the polarization and the extreme lack of compromise from both sides, because neither side is willing to budge whatsoever at risk. Uh, because they, they they worry it risks a slippery slope, mm-hmm. which is why so many of our laws are um, are rigid and, in my opinion, uh, flawed because there isn't compromise put into them whatsoever because either side are pulling so hard for their point of view. Yeah. There, there is, no, <laughs> there you, is no compromise on abortion. Either you have a right to control your own there body or you don't. All right. So now we got January. Now this is January 24th. So we are four days in, and we're just talking about the memos here. So these are not these are not executive orders. These are the memos. This one we'll definitely disagree with, but I love it. So January 24th, four days in, he invites the trans candidate to promptly resubmit the application to build the Keystone XL pipeline. January 24th calls for the building of the Dakota Access Pipeline, and January 24th again declares that all pipeline work should be used can only be built with U.S. materials. This is an interesting conundrum for a lot of people on the left. Molly, because Justin Trudeau is pro Keystone Pipeline. Justin Trudeau is a pretty face with with often increasingly <laughs> shitty politics. Is, yeah. his, is his face beautiful? Absolutely. <laughs> Are his politics fucking milk toast and and sometimes bad? Yes. He's a bit of a pile of hair. I do believe that Barack Obama was going to sign on to the Dakota Pipeline. Yeah, they I actually agree. the interesting thing about this, I think this one does get a little bit overly politicized. Um, it's five miles of extended pipeline of a pipeline that already exists, and they he. 
Donald Trump has said, we can only take him on his word, and God knows what the heck that is worth. They will follow what Obama did when it comes to rerouting the path. I do believe that there but was a, there was yourself, a victory. Of course, there. his word is worth nothing. And yes. the path that you're talking about is specifically a path that would poison people. It was supposed to go through Bismarck, North Dakota, and oh. the white people there were like, ooh, that would poison us. And they were like, okay, <laughs> we'll put it through this fucking native lands. Who cares? So yeah, five miles you're not talking about, oh, it's five unoccupied miles. You're talking about, you know, an entire community whose water supply would be poisoned. And, of course, it goes under the Missouri River, which would then theoretically poison a lot of people if it breaks. I'm just going to hold strong on my pro-Keystone pipeline thing <laughs> you, just you because I enjoy it. consider this, Ben. Well, this, these presidential memorandums on that day like this, I think this also tells you the disconnect that they have because at the same time that they're saying that they're trying to find ways to mandate the use of American-made steel, the two memorandums later is streamlining permitting and reducing regulatory burdens for domestic manufacturing that entire oh, yeah. American steel I mean that is the height of regulation he's going to let no they're getting rid of regulation yeah but if he's mandating US steel be used on these pipelines oh, that sure. is regulation like a motherfucker well, yes, I mean, that of is course. telling them exactly where and how they have to buy their building materials and the workers will not be having a lot of compensation and things like that or because safety, of the lack of regulation right? or safety, the lack yeah. of regulations it's like put them in the steel mills take away the rules you know it's yeah. insane. you're gonna kill people well to be fair a lot of them are criminals so we do it they were going to south dakota to man work. only needs eight fingers to pull a lever <laughs> that's a good point no i understand i i you know i just i i think we have two hundred fifty thousand miles of pipeline in this country for the most part they completely they hold strong i think it's a pro-science argument to be pro-pipeline and i don't have a problem with energy independence because i want to end our foreign affairs i want to end the wars in the Middle East, which are in a lot of ways cause for our desire for their oil. Um, so in my, I, I believe it's more of a humanitarian effort to try to create jobs here and, and create, our, we should be able to sustain our own living. And so that is one area where I, I have to disagree with the left. Uh, five days ago, a pipeline in Iowa leaked 140,000 gallons of diesel. Thank you, Marcus. And who doesn't love to feel like a Jetta? <laughs> um, isn't that nice? No, obviously they do happen. They're I know. terrible. It happens it, all the it, time, It happens dude. sometimes. Dude, it happens sometimes. Dude, advocate for fucking wind farms in America. We could totally do that. It would not leak yeah. into the water. Well, you know what? I got a big duck constituency who don't like the wind farms. <laughs> they're, they're all dying, beheading a bunch of geese. Uh, no, I understand both sides of that um, argument very well. Um, okay, let's continue on with January 20, uh, January 27th calls for the rebuilding of the U.S. military, which I wasn't aware that it was unbuilt or in need of rebuilding. Um, anyway, that's just one of those symbolic Republican gestures that it's it's mind-boggling, mind-numbing. The military on a regular basis says, no, we don't need any more tanks. And the sad thing is, because of the 1033 program, those excess tanks, Tanks that are absolutely fine, that had one tour, maybe a year, go to our local municipalities, such as a small town in Wisconsin, which has a that has a a, a RAV, an, M, an MRAV or whatever, which there's never been a murder in this town, and I think that that is leading to the militarization of our entire society, specifically yeah. our place. And then you see them rolling down the streets of Ferguson, Missouri, yeah. and being used against the citizens. Absolutely. D uh, January 28th, he orders Defense Secretary to develop a new plan to defeat ISIS. Uh, January 28th, he reorganizes the National Security Council, giving brand new power to advisor Steve Bannon, the CEO of Breitbart Media, an alt-right group that has one of the most atrocious records for human rights, for just overall human dignity. 
And intelligence. Talk about lack of intelligence. It oozes it. That website will make your computer screen wet. It oozes such nonsense. Steve Bannon, what do you think, Molly, in na- in the National Security Committee? The thing is about Steve Bannon. Council. The thing about Steve Bannon is there's a lot of talk around um, this administration of who's racist and who's a bigot and who's a pig and who's an alt-right and who's a Nazi. And the thing about Steve Bannon is that he is an actual unambiguous, capital W, white supremacist. And nationalist. I would argue that there's a lot of white supremacists um, in this team, but yes, he is mm-hmm. a, he is an explicit white nationalist. There is court documents in, around his divorce case saying he didn't want his kids going to school with Jewish kids. Um, he is an anti-Semite. He is a racist. He believes that white people are superior, which as many people point out, I don't know that making fun of people's appearances isn't nice, but Steve Bannon looks like a reanimated corpse. Uh, if you think that white people are sum- <laughs> superior, just watch Sports? No, <laughs> they're not. I tell a joke in my stand-up about how uh, I went to a white basketball camp and the only thing I learned was free throws because it's the only damn thing that white people are good at when it comes to <laughs> basketball because we force an official to blow a whistle, everyone steps aside, and then we're like, at this point in the game, we won't jump. And, uh, you know, so that'll make it, that'll it's like affirmative action for white people. Uh, it is absolutely, I, I completely agree with you, Molly. He is atrocious. The fact that Karl Rove wasn't allowed to be in the National Security Council. David Axelrod, a lot of Republicans now are like, well, he would walk by and smell the room sometimes. <laughs> it is not the same as, as sitting on the National Security Council so sitting at that table will have a chilling effect on everyone in that room, and you guarantee that it will make people more hawkish and more um, uh, cowering. They will cower to anything that Donald Trump wants to do because Steve Bannon is a little worm tongue. Well, the reason why Karl Rove wasn't allowed in these meetings was because George W. Bush didn't want people to think that the uh, decisions that they came to were too politicized. George W. Bush is coming <laughs> across like one of the greatest statesmen in American politics ever compared to this. Uh, oh my God! George W. Days. Bush loved it so much when Trump got elected. It's like, oh, they're gonna forget about all those war crimes I committed. Hey, with any luck, kid. with any luck, I've been bumped up to the 42 worst president in yeah, the United States history. Thing. Thank you, because it's because it's so t- like all of us are like, oh, I think I'm looking back on W. with fondness. But like, let no. us not forget that that man caused untold millions of suf- millions of people suffering and dying. Well. That we are still dealing with today. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's a perfect segue to, we'll get back to the executive orders now. January 27th enacts, Donald Trump enacts the first step in his extreme vetting plan. I don't know if that makes them, do they have to go and be American Ninja Warriors (laughs) with their extreme vetting plan? Also, the people who are coming over to this country already went through around 15 months of vetting. Yeah. Um, Okay, so he he is, this is his first step in his extreme vetting plan, resulting in an entry ban for for foreigners uh, traveling from seven majority Muslim countries. This is what incited the protests at LAX, at protests all around this nation, at airports all around this nation, people were so pissed, they went to the airport and they didn't even have to fly. <laughs> no one likes going to the airport. And Never. People went. Even if you're going to visit the, the love of your life, you're still like, I gotta go to the airport. Maybe I don't like her or him that much. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and you know, yes, there's technically an AirTran, but in, in New York City, neither airport makes it easy for you to get there. No. 
And people went. People who've never been to protests before went. Yeah. It was moving as fuck. I want to just. I, I will. We'll focus mace, uh, mostly now on the on the Muslim ban. But January twenty eighth, he creates new ethics rules to limit lobbying for people who have served in his administration. Don't necessarily hate that. January thirtieth mandates the elimination of two regulations for every new regulation created. So this is something that's very. Uh, this is his pro business uh, ideas. One thing I want to make sure people understand about that whole lobbying thing is that that only applies to people who were lobbyists before, it does not ban anybody who is in the administration from lobbying afterwards. Okay. So. Which is the whole problem. Right, which is what they do. <laughs> which is it, what they do. That's the worst part of the entire situation. Right, the revolving door thing. Oh, I'm just going to go and then I'm going to profit off of all the stuff that I just yeah. set up here. Yeah, if you, give, if you give us this favorable bill, then you will have a wonderful job when you get out. That's the whole problem. So let's go now and talk about this Muslim ban. It's the seven nations, like I said earlier, Iran, Iraq, Syria, Yemen, Sudan, Libya, and Somalia. Um, these are, of course, Pakistan was an act committed by someone who was a U.S. resident who come, came from Pakistan. He's not on the list. That was mm-hmm. Sam Berdu. Uh, Saudi Arabia is not on the list. Of course, they are the major culprits behind 9-11. Egypt is not on the list. Another 9-11 hijacker was from there. And I firmly believe he has ties, business ties with the Saudis. And that is why they are not on the list. There's no denying that in my in, in my mind. And of course, Pakistan was also the nation that was harboring Osama bin Laden. Uh, but they are they are magically not made it into the top seven of the worst uh, of, of the worst uh, Muslim nations with uh, having individuals come to this country. And anybody that says this is not a Muslim ban, that is bullshit. And it is because. Yeah. In the order, it makes an exception for religious minorities. Yes. The religious minorities are Christian in yes. those countries. It is a Muslim ban. Yes. I mean, that is the definition of a Muslim ban. And we know it's a Muslim ban for a couple of reasons, one of which is the amount of times Donald Trump called for a Muslim ban in his own damn campaign. <laughs> and right. two is that silly, silly Rudy Giuliani silly. went on television <laughs> and was like, yeah, it's a Muslim ban. I, what happened was my best friend Donald Trump came to... I'm not doing a good Rudy, but... Oh, it's a fine one. Hey, no. Put more uh, lisp into it. Yeah, he, but Trump My came best to me. friend Donald Trump. He said, how do we make a Muslim ban? And so <laughs> he he said on TV that we needed to make a Muslim ban, which is good um, for based on um, the law. You are not allowed. Uh, well, I mean, who the fuck knows what's allowed anymore? Trump's just going to do it. And the... We could talk about like the lack of checks and balances on the well, executive branch, but this is gonna. May I speak? Yeah. May I speak? <laughs> uh, but to your point of is this is this allowed? Uh, Sally Yates, the Attorney General under Barack Obama, she uh, worked with Republicans, she worked with Democrats. By all accounts, she's a totally rational person. She chose to resign. Obviously, she's a holdover of the uh, holdover. Um, of the Obama administration, she was going to be replaced by Jeff Sessions. This guy, Dana Boyente, is now replacing her. Trump fired her. Uh, no, she, she did not she, choose to resign. No, she, she did. Fired. I mean, I know she was fired, but it, she knew exactly what was going to happen with her outcome of not well, implementing I mean, this law. She resigned uh, via saying this is an unconstitutional you have to fire law. Me. Exactly. You have to fire me, yeah. I, exactly. That's where she got fired. And then Donald Trump had the audacity, if you really, if you listen to, uh, if you read the memo that they, that they wrote regarding the firing of Sally Yates, the reason I said resign is because she knew the outcome of her action and uh, and I think she you know she chose to die on that hill and and rightfully so again she was going to be replaced by Jeff Sessions anyway they said Donald Trump because he is such a a a, a thin-skinned 
Prick said, we, uh, Sally Yates, she was weak on defense, weak on the border, weak on immigration, so she's gone. This is a woman who was endorsed by Republicans, endorsed by Democrats. A re- she is an attorney general of the United States of America. They're not lefties. There's nothing moderate about her, <laughs> yeah. right? Or, yeah, nothing left uh, about her. And, um, and she's, yeah, they, they said it was a betrayal. But, yeah, just to, to finish the legal part of what I was saying before, the unconstitutional part when, comes when you, when you specifically target someone's religion. And so it's obvious that this is a Muslim ban. That's why they're saying it's not. But Trump keeps calling it a Muslim ban. Mm -hmm. But to me, everything that you just went through, all of this and all of the protests and all of the, in addition to the attorney general um, saying don't enforce this, there has been four federal judges who put out various um, levels of stays on the ruling saying don't enforce this. Customs Border Patrol, don't enforce this. But we are in a constitutional crisis because Mm – um, the legis- the checks on the executive branch are supposed to be the legislative branch and the judicial one. Legislative branch, goodbye. They're not going to do, the, you know, what is Congress? Have, they have not shown themselves ready to be a check on Trump, right? Well, they can't. They haven't even been given anything to be a check on. Right, They're, right. they're simply these- doing these things, uh, again, not telling Rex Tillerson or, or, or Mattis. I mean, the, the amount of people who are in the room when these massive decisions are being made is so exceptionally small, including the ex- – uh, they don't even have Jared Kushner in the room because most of the things that are happening uh, in the in the grandest sense are happening on Saturdays, and Jared Kushner uh, is an Orthodox Jewish person who is not uh, allowed to participate at, uh, during that day. Yeah, and, and all of the anti-Semitism might get to him at some point. Yeah, at some point when Steve Bannon starts talking about his faith uh, you know, directly to Jared Kushner, he might not take such a liking to it. Yeah, how many times do you think Bannon's going to have to say global cartels before Kushner just goes, God damn it, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Okay, one, just call me a reptilian next. <laughs> I got it, Steve Bannon. You don't like the Jewish people or their faith. But what's crazy is that that means that leaves the judicial branch as, in my opinion, the most reliable um, check that mm-hmm. exists on Trump, and has already shown itself via five different, four federal judges and an attorney general to be a check on Trump, and Trump is just ignoring them. Yeah. You know, this, these federal um, decisions came from the judges saying, "Don't detain people." The New York judge said, "Don't detain." Um, uh, I'm sorry, it said don't deport people, and people were still being deported. A Boston judge said don't detain or deport people. People are still being detained and deported. So at that point, like, judges are, like, that's what federal marshals are for. They are supposed to enforce judges' orders. Right. You can't defy a judge, even if you're president, but he's doing it. So that's where, like, the best joke I saw on Twitter this weekend was, damn, boy, are you a con- constitutional crisis? Because you came way quicker than I thought you would. <laughs> yeah. Which is, like, that's the moment we're living in right now. Well, and that's what's so absolutely fascinating fascinating about what's happening it is throwing the judiciary in such a uh, in, in so much turmoil it's so it's so chaotic right now they're passing all these memos and these executive actions and executive orders no one really knows which ones to focus on and you wonder if this is on purpose this is a Steve Bannon technique to throw everything against the wall shove it down the pipeline you can pick and choose what you want to argue about but something that you didn't even notice or something that didn't make uh, mainstream news that is just going to slip through the cracks and be just as awful or um uh, or uh, discriminatory or whatever it might be. And this is a really interesting, um, uh, I do believe there's an intelligence to 
their political philosophy, and I think chaos is the world that they reign in. It's a control it, chaos. It is a well, somewhat, you know, until it gets out of control. This mm. was his entire primary one run. Donald Trump was the most chaotic primary candidate of all time, and all he does is one up his the newsworthiness of the past day is muted and diminished by the newsworthiness of the current day. It just continually escalates, and everyone sort of forgets what they were angry about on Monday because now on Tuesday he's passed another executive order uh, that is either just as bad or worse. I mean, it really is a fascinating political technique that we've never seen before. Zero order, zero rule of law, zero checks and balances. And the American people, I think that's why they're taking to the streets because we feel our backs are against the wall and our government has completely uh, gone nuts. Well, one of the I read a, an opinion the other day that said part of this strategy is protest fatigue. Is that people will be taking to the streets so often that it's not necessarily the people that will be getting that will uh, be getting fatigued. The people mm. protest, protesting getting fatigued, but people watching the news, regular people, like ugh, what are they protesting now? I'm having heart palpitations. I really, I, I mean, I'm going to sleep and I'm sort of stressed out about a lot of these things. And the American people, you can say what you want about Barack Obama. Obama and even W. Bush to some degree, you didn't really fall asleep. Well, after 9-11 and the lead up to the Iraq war, it was very nerve wracking. Um, but you didn't fall asleep thinking about what's the president doing right now? We don't know what Donald Trump, because he is constantly throwing these things out there with no checks and balances whatsoever. And the American people are, um, they are really, the Democrats are going to be in an interesting situation here because they're blocking Price right now and they're blocking Mnuchin. It looks like Betsy DeVos will, uh, will get through and a lot of people hate her. And Molly, let's talk about Betsy DeVos. I want to talk with you as a teacher. I want to hear your opinion because I didn't uh, come against her hard enough on a show a, a couple of uh, episodes ago and I was screamed at by a lot of people. So I want to talk about Betsy DeVos. But the Democrats are going, the people are going to start to feel they need some order in government. And so that it will also be on the Democrats to um, provide that order because now they are the rational entity in Washington. And it's going to be a tricky thing for them to not make it look as if they're contributing to the madness. Yeah, it's a huge opportunity for Democrats. And I wish that I trusted them more with it. But mm -hmm. today was a good sign, like that saying, you know, the um, the several Democrats boycotted the votes. Um <clears throat> they're saying they're going to vote against. They're, like Basically what happened was last week, people voted for Trump's nominees, and then a bunch of um, Democrats were like calling their representatives and being like, what are you doing voting for Ben Carson for HUD Secretary Elizabeth right. Warren? And so... That's good because now this week Democrats are responding. I hope Demo – this is a great opportunity for Democrats to learn that um, bland centrism isn't what moves people. They you, need to actually take an – they need to take a stand. They need to have principled – people don't care about whether you identify as a centrist. They care about what you actually say and what mm -hmm. your policies would be. And the Democrats have to use this opportunity. Otherwise, like, the party – they just cannot keep racing to be the party of, like – you know, Tim Kaine is fine, but it's like you need right. somebody more animating. Yeah, right well, now they're like a, a soggy bowl of cereal. Yes, exactly. Ooh, I like but I like a, if it's perfect soggy. Mm, that's good. <laughs> um, but do they run the risk of becoming, uh, you know, simply obstructionist, just like the Republicans were with Obama for eight years? Do they run the risk of um, also having the dysfunction of government lay upon their shoulders? And if they do, then isn't that going to negatively affect their chances in the upcoming cycle? I, I don't think so, because... Um, because there was no consequences for the Republicans obstructing Obama for eight years. There was no political yeah. consequences. And um, 
And there is no choice. Even there is just no choice. Tactically, there is no choice but to stop Trump. Everything mm. must be done to stop Trump. So political maneuvering and like, ooh, is this smart? Is this the, it doesn't, we're beyond that. Mm. We are in a crisis. A fascist has taken power. He's trying to concentrate power further and uh, everything must be done to stop him. And, and yeah, like Elizabeth Warren was like, listen, I voted for Ben Carson because like he says some good things and I'm sure that there was some calculus. Oh, maybe he'll work with me. I like but, Linda McMahon. But I got the WWE <laughs> network. I have it. I just bought it. I literally had to buy the WWE network to turn off everything. I was just like, I needed to see half-naked guys oiled up hitting each other immediately. We all need our, our self-care. But um, I just think the, the Democrats, uh, and I'm stealing this from another uh, thing that I saw online, but the Democrats are acting like they sat down to play a board game with someone. The person on the other side of the board game set the house on fire, and the right. Democrats are still sitting at the board, like, thinking about their strategy. Mm-hmm. Like, it is, this is not the time to think, like, well, maybe Ben Carson will do this for me if I do this for him. And Chuck Schumer is getting that, too, because he voted for some people voted yes last week and then a bunch of people were like you gotta stop this and now he's getting it we have i hope i'm not a fan of chuck schumer i think he's one of the reasons the democratic party has been in decline for uh, the past eight years or six years rather if, if you'll just look at the small races um that have led up to this massive uh, takeover by the republican party people want politicians who believe in things like keith yeah. ellison said well why should democrats do anything but obstruct the supreme court vote because that's what republicans did we'll give them exactly what they gave to but us don't you fall into the trap of, of childhood is, you know, children in the playground. He did it, so I'm going to do it. No, but that's what she did, so I did it. Trump needs to be stopped. We are in exceptional circumstances. Everything needs to be done to stop Trump at every step of the way. Mm. And, of course, precedent matters. You don't want to do something that then sets you up to have bad precedent in the future. But right now, like... Playing dirty, like Republican. I mean, Democrats are acting like there's some dignity to this game. There's not. Republicans don't care. Mm. They're not going to care if Dem- you play undignified. Yeah, Democrats are realizing, uh, like Hillary did, uh, and like Bernie did, but when he was against Hillary, but like Hillary did, and the 17 people that ran against Donald Trump, the Democrats are realizing <laughs> when you play with Trump, you got to get in the mud because there is no other. There is no other court. This is trench warfare. It is uh, very interesting. Okay, we got to wrap it up really quickly. Betsy DeVos, just tell me as a teacher in New York City. Molly, why is Betsy DeVos not a good person uh, to head our education? Because public education as an institution is good. We People like public schools, no matter what you hear about how public schools are failing, it's, it's not true. People love their public schools. If they send their children to public schools, they love them. Public schools are free. They are required to serve everybody. No matter if you have a kid with a disability, if you just got here off of a boat yesterday and you don't speak English, public schools serve everybody and they have to accommodate you. And even if you're badly behaved, you get suspended Public schools have to provide another education for you. They have to educate everybody. They are uh, they are for everyone. They Can are you- one of the last good institutions left in this country. And, and it's not only that Betsy DeVos wants to privatize public education. A lot of Democrats want to do that, too. They, right. they love charter schools. They want to weaken public education. She wants to take federal money, tax money, right? She wants to take it away from public schools, which have to serve everyone. She wants to say, okay, here's a scholarship for poor kids to go to private schools. This creates all sorts of um, separation of church and state issues. So you you don't have a public school to go to anymore. Too bad if you're Jewish or Muslim or whatever. You can use, and you live in a small town, oh, there's a Christian school. That's the only school that will take you. That's the only school that's left. Oh, if you have a disability and this school doesn't have any services for kids with disabilities, it doesn't have an elevator because uh, she wants to, she doesn't know about the Individuals with Disabilities Act, or if it doesn't have it, 
instru- classroom instruction that is good for your particular disability, too bad. All right. of those, all of those protections, all of those protections for children, which are arguably the most vulnerable among us. She doesn't care about any of them. She wants them gone. She wants the entire public institution, which again has to serve everyone. She wants it to be privatized. It's a marketplace thing. Parents choose. Ooh, choose between a charter, choose between a voucher. And that might sound fine, but what it does is it disenfranchises people who um, rely on public schools and especially students who aren't, like, aren't the students who... Um, Every school doesn't want to accept your most um, seriously uh, behavioral disordered child, right? right? There's a reason why you have to make institutions serve public institutions serve everybody because it's not a market because people aren't uh, a marketplace doesn't serve all people. Yeah, and so she wants to turn education into a marketplace, which will leave children with disabilities, English language learners. Um, Children of different religions. Also, she's homophobic as fuck. She believes in electroshock therapy for gay conversion. So it would really, really, really hurt a lot of kids. It would dismantle mm-hmm. unions. It would hurt teachers. But but first and foremost, it would hurt children and families because children and families rely on their neighborhood public schools. Well, and I want to say electric uh, shock therapy, uh, it just leads to a different fetish, so uh, that's not right. <laughs> but, um, okay, we do have to wrap it up, but um, I have one more question. Um, we spend more money per uh, you know child than any nation on earth. Our education is absolutely atrocious. What are some problems with the public school system and how, because I am pro-charter school and I'm, I'm pro-mix, I want to I want to mix. I mean, how do you, what would be some of the issues that you see and how can it be fixed if we do, uh, you know, eliminate charter schools and things like that and maintain the public school um, standards? Because currently, I mean, a lot of people are falling through the cracks. A lot of students are being, uh, you know, uh, they're not getting proper education. We just had the situation where 74% of people who graduated, uh, they, they touted that as a huge thing when they graduated uh, here in New York City, and only 4% uh, had the reading ability to get into college. So they sort of uh, inflate the numbers of graduates by lowering the curriculum standards. What would be a way that we can actually have an education that works with the system that it is as, as is. I would actually love not to invite myself back, but I would love to come on another time and have a whole ed reform show because yes, I'm really it. interested in this. But basically, it's a it's the thing about education failing people. It's a talking point, right? Again, if you actually survey parents, even poor parents, about how they feel about their schools, it's not that all parents love their schools, but generally speaking, parents have good relationships with their teachers, their, with their school institutions. What's failing students? Uh, is um, systematic poverty and inequality, right? Um, And, of course, you can't isolate it to that, but you certainly can't isolate it to education. If kids are coming in hungry, if they're leaving schools and getting thrown up against the wall by police, if they are not having any extracurricular activities, if they have no access to parks, no access to museums, um, if they are coming in because they're immigrants and they're learning English for the first time, whether they're 5 or 11 or 18, um, they're not going to... And the way that, you know, our metric for measuring failure is a standardized test. How many of us, we're all weirdos, how many of us yes. can be easily assessed with a mass blank sheet? We can't, Completely right? Completely agree, yeah. And children can't either. And so I just want to, I, I want to push back on the idea that schools are failing our students. It's not to say that schools aren't suffering and that, that, that you can't walk into schools and see suffering, but that has to do with inequality and that has to do with poverty. Mm-hmm. It's not because teachers don't care. It's not because we're like hemorrhaging money into the schools. It costs a lot to educate it's a certainly student. Education seems to be a symptom of a larger ailment. Yeah, yes, and, and you got to fund education. Yeah, it costs a lot, but you know, you're talking about 13 years for each kid uh, 
food, materials, staff, um, well, I think, everything, you know? Yeah, and we have to wrap it up. And yes, absolutely. So we'll have Molly Neffel back and we will have a full education Please. discussion. Mm-hmm. I actually cannot wait. And that'll, well, let's do that within the next couple of episodes. I would here. love to. I have so much to um, say. That, oh, yeah. sa- that sounds absolutely wonderful. So that's Marcus Parks. You can find Marcus Parks on Twitter and at Instagram at Marcus Parks. I'm on Twitter at Ben Kissel, Instagram Ben Kissel one And Molly, where can everybody find you? Um, I'm at Molly Neffel, M-O-L-L-Y-K-N-E-F-E-L. That's great. And to all the people who... Uh, begged me to have Molly Neffel on. They didn't beg me. They just said, have Molly on, you big dumpy shit. And I said, okay, okay. Um, I hope that you enjoyed the episode. I think I know for a fact they did because this was a fantastic episode. Uh, so go rate and review us on uh, on iTunes. Uh, please, we're absolutely crushing it. And uh, it's because of you. Thank you guys so much. And we'll talk to you soon. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com. <laughs>